coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. You know, it's interesting, Odell and Emma, that we in society today have to have a department in the Attorney General's office that protects young people against predators. What is it dealing with? Because I would assume, and my assumption would be wrong, that it's easy dealing with sex or money or some form of manipulation. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you saying thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for all that you're doing in my life. We look back over my life. And I think of how we got started in public housing and all the challenges that we had. And now you've blessed me and my family that we're traveling abroad and doing some of the things. And God, we said to you, we promise that we will never, ever forget who brought us over and how we got over God. And we will always remember to look back and help others, God, help others who are a little bit more not as fortunate as we are, and we continue to keep that promise. So God, we thank you for blessing us and keeping us, but also for reminding us, Holy Spirit, that it wasn't us who pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps because we had no boots nor straps. It was you, God. It was you. Just like that picture of walking footprints on the beach in the sand where we like, God, we thought we were walking together. Now, when I look back, I just see one set of footprints and you say, my son, my daughter, that's because I was carrying you. Because it was too difficult for you to walk, I carried you. So God, thank you for carrying me and my family. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for carrying me as well in our family. You know, life is uh, a challenge at times and then beautiful at times. And you're involved in both those. And Lord... Uh, I know your hand is in our family and keeping them safe. My wife and I just got over the flu and uh, it was because of you providing uh, doctors and medicine that allowed us to get over that. Lord, we just thank you for all your blessings. We don't mean to take them for granted. It's just that as we go through life, we have to stop and reflect and focus on what you've provided us. And, uh, Lord, thank you for this podcast. Thank you for my friendship with Odell and our family's friendship with his family. Give us safety as we travel to Europe this Sunday for 12 days. 
and uh, let us have a time of relaxation, but also let us reflect on the fact that we're there because you allowed us to do that. You provided the funding, you provided the resources, you provided the locations, and then let us see your hand in every place that we go. Amen. Amen. Bill? Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I've got rid of that crazy flu. I got a little bit of hangover cough, but man, I got my energy back. So man, look out. Man, I, I thought I was an old man there for a while. I was I get out of bed. I was tired all the time, but uh, now it's amazing with when your body can heal itself and take care of it. So I'm doing good. I'm going to pick up some uh, some medicine just in case some, one of us gets sick on the trip and uh, we're, we're ready to go. So you are ready to get on the big plane and fly over to England. Yes, sir. And then get on the channel and pop out on the other end in Paris. Yes, sir. I tell you what, Bill, life must be good for the old guys. What do you think? Well, I think you're right. I think you're right. The uh, I haven't really focused on the agenda and all the things that we're like. We're going to see uh, Churchill's Bunker. I think uh-huh. we're going to the Black Jazz area in Paris. I think you wanted to check out the slave boats and slave trade work came yeah. from. So we're going to do a tour of that. And I know there's like four or five other things that Dory has put together. And quite frankly, I didn't even look at the itinerary. I just figured you're coming over here Sunday. We're going to drive to the airport in Greensboro. And I'm just going to get going. And maybe when we're on the flight, because we have time, and say, hey, Dory, why don't you let me look at what we're doing? There you go. <laughs> That that's me being a good husband. Hey, you know, even though we're going to see some of these historic cities and all this kind of stuff, nothing they said ever so thankful is no place like home. And Charleston, South Carolina is where I grew up, one of the most historic cities there is. The state of South Carolina, as you know, is near and dear to me. But I'm excited because I our guest today is from the great state of South Carolina, Columbia, right next to the University of South Carolina, where my wife graduated and my brother graduated and my cousin graduated and I graduated from the University of South Carolina in Spartanburg, which is now called University of South Carolina Upstate. So, Bill, I'm near and dear to South Carolina. So can you introduce our guest, Bill? Uh, Absolutely. We are excited to have Emma on our podcast. Emma is going to be a speaker at our summit. She's actually speaking two times. She works for the Attorney General's Office of South Carolina. So if you get a speeding ticket, Odell, I think you need to keep Emma's phone number close. Uh, Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. I don't think she's going to help you with that. But but, uh, the thing is, she is involved in Internet crimes against kids and a lot of other things. We're going to let her explain all that. And uh, we are just so excited that her boss, who's an Eagle Scout, allowed her to come and be part of our organization to give this talk. We look forward to seeing her at the VIP dinner the, or event the night before to get to know the speakers and kind of network a little. And uh, Emma, come on in and introduce yourself. Thank y'all for having me. Like y'all said, my name is Emma. I am the education coordinator and now program manager at the South Carolina Attorney General's office, specifically in our Internet Crimes Against Children division. Very good. So, it's Emma Rush, R-U-S-H. Yeah. Now, that's no relation to Rush Limbaugh, is it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have been told that I am related to Benjamin Rush, who signed the Declaration of Independence. Wow. But 
Other than that, I have no idea. <laughs> no, that's great. Now, were you born and raised in South Carolina? Yes, born and raised in Holly Hill, South Carolina, a very uh, tiny town. Okay, and give us a geography of where that is located in the state of South Carolina. I always tell people it's pretty much halfway between Columbia and Charleston. Okay, um, but it is it is right close to Lake Marion, um, Santee, that kind of area. Okay. And I have a soft spot for Santee and Lake Marion because I was growing up as a boy. We would come down with my uncles and my brothers, probably about 20 guys, and we'd go fishing in Lake Marion <laughs> and just have the greatest time. Uh, we'd camp out. I do remember a number of things camping out there. One is there were a few mosquitoes and there were alligators. So when you... Uh, you had to be careful when you were fishing. If you got something that didn't feel like a fish, you might have had an alligator. And uh, it was always cool to go up and down the banks and uh, see them splash into the water heading towards your boat. Did get your attention from a northern guy that never saw stuff like that. Yeah, it is quite wild. Um, we actually had a huge alligator pulled out of that like a few a few weeks ago. So it's, it's always kind of a, a shock to see the pictures of them because growing up there, you know, that they're there. They just don't really bother you, but actually seeing them fully out of the water. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> How big was it? Oh gosh. Um, I can't even remember. I think it was like 18 feet or something. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. It was huge. Well, fact, yeah. Right? You know, Odell and I hunt and, uh, there's some big bears. And so the, I guess, uh, the alligators are the bears of the water. Yes, very much so. I would argue probably worse because I feel like there's, a, you know, they have the bear spray and stuff that you can like repel bears with. Mm -hmm. But I don't really know of anything that you can repel an alligator with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. You know, thinking about that, Emma and Bill, when you start thinking about predators, whether it's that giant alligator that got pulled out or a bear, Emma said something, Bill, that's so interesting to our audience that she deals with the internet. I don't think you said fraud, Emma. What what is it again? Internet crimes against children. Wow. So Can a you lot tell of, us about a lot that? Of parents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of parents wish that we dealt with the spam calls and the the phishing emails and stuff like that, but we actually don't work with that at all. Specifically, we work in investigating and prosecuting and then preventing predators from um, manipulating or soliciting children on the internet. Um, there are a lot of different crimes that we investigate and prosecute, but that is kind of a parent's worst nightmare, so to speak, is kind of the stranger danger, if you will, of the internet that's out there. You know, it's interesting, Odell and Emma, that we in society today have to have a department in the attorney general's office that protects young people against predators. It tells you how big of a deal this is. And this is just one state. And I'm sure these predators don't just stay in the state of South Carolina. They come from all over the world. That is correct. Wow. We are really lucky here in the U.S. We actually have 61 different task forces nationwide who deal with this. So South Carolina is just one of them. We have one in every state. But if you think of like the bigger states population-wise, as well as crime rate-wise, we have multiple in those states. So Florida, Texas, California, Illinois, Virginia, and New York, I believe, have multiple. Well, we have a lot of parents listening to our podcast. If you were to give them advice on how to protect their children from predators like this, 
on the internet, what would you say? Gosh. So my most infuriating but best advice is to just have conversations as open and honest as they can be the better because kids, you know, they're really resilient, but they're going to do what they want to do, so to speak. So if you can at least have conversations with them and prepare them for what is actually out there and explain to them why it is that you are concerned for their safety, they're going to be a lot more understanding Mm -hmm. of how to, to simply just protect themselves as well, because parents want control over their children's, you know, internet and device access, but inherently those things kind of are limited with the amount of control that you can have as an outsider. So or not the operator of that device. And the best thing that you can do is equip your children with the knowledge on how to protect themselves and to come to you with questions that you will answer in a non-judgmental way that can then help them deal with those issues that might arise. So have a good conversation, have an open conversation, allow your child not to feel guilty if they come to you asking questions that uh, it's encouraged. And if adult wants to find a resource to understand this better, where would they go? So we have a um, website that has a section completely dedicated for parents and then a whole other one to get dedicated specifically to kids at sccafetynet.com, which you can see behind me if you're watching, but uh, it is full of different resources, guides, tips to communication and different prompts, so to speak, that you can use um, to facilitate that conversation. Very good. Very good. Odell? Yeah. Emma, without saying too much, if I ask you, what's the typical predator? This is a three-part question. So I, I have a, you know, I'm a South Carolina Geechee. So if I get excited, I kind of, my words get all messed up. But a three-part question. First thing, what's the typical predator like? Secondly, what is it dealing with? Because I would assume, and my assumption would be wrong, that it's easy dealing with sex or money or some form of manipulation. And the third thing, what's the typical victim like? And I would assume the wrong way. Maybe it's a teenage boy or girl who don't like what mom and dad is doing at home, whether it's right or wrong. They just you know how that go, mom, we're not hitting it. And so now you find this quote unquote friend on the internet who says, meet me at up the street and da, 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 da. So again, three-part question, what's the typical predator like? What's the subject or the issues they're dealing with? And then what's the victim, if that's the right term? And I'm sure I didn't say the right term. So please educate me because I'm from South Carolina. I fail the third grade and the fourth grade, but I'm okay. Thank you. Um, Those are really great questions. And to answer the first, what is the typical predator like? I don't ever give a physical descriptor of what those predators are like because we, um, it is extremely easy to lie on the internet. So they're really, I don't want to kind of pigeonhole people into thinking that, that, that this one person is the predator and everybody else is safe. So really you should look for signs of grooming, any type of manipulation or any big red flags or changes in your child's behavior that would likely point out that they may be 
being manipulated by a predator in some way. If you're looking through their conversations, look for extreme bonding um, with that child over various subjects. Obviously, that's how we form relationships as human beings. So it can't stop there. You want to look for signs that that predator is potentially making that child reliant on them for something, whether that's friendship or love or money. Maybe they have sent them gift cards or a phone or a device. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, so look for signs where they're kind of isolating them away from family. Oh, your parents wouldn't like that you're talking to a stranger on the internet. Just don't tell them about me. That would be a huge red flag. Potentially saying, you know, getting really aggressive or um, potentially jealous that the child isn't talking to them exclusively or as often as they would like. Things like that could be a red flag. But you're also going to want to look for signs that that predator is potentially manipulating them or pressuring them in a way that would make it extremely hard for that child to say no. So the predator might say things like, well, if we were really friends, you would send me that picture. Or if you really loved me, you wouldn't mind doing this for me. Things like that. And then, you know, they're they're trying to trap them in some way. Typically, we think of that trap as like a physical trap um, of like an abduction or something like of that sort, but it could be extortion, blackmail. I know where your sister lives. I'll just go get her. Or I have this picture of you that you sent me. So if you don't send me more or meet up in person, I'll post them all over the internet. That would be a big, huge trap. So um, things like that is what I would look for for a predator. When it comes to behavior or I guess crimes, so to speak, that they commit, What we investigate specifically is sexual in nature. So just from a legal standpoint, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I have my master's in social work, but we investigate crimes like um, sexual exploitation of minors where individuals are either manufacturing, distributing, or possessing child sexual abuse material, formerly known as child pornography, but we don't call it that anymore. They also may be disseminating sexually explicit material to minors or, you know, soliciting them to have some type of sexual relation in person. Um, Those are typically things that we would investigate. So that's not all of it, obviously, but those are the main ones. And then when it comes to victims, as a social worker with that background, I always use the type of verbiage that the survivor or victim uses themselves. So if someone is still referring to themselves as a victim, I would refer to them as a victim. Um, If they are referring to themselves as a survivor, I would refer to them as a survivor. So you are not wrong in what you said, so you're fine. But it really varies. I can't say that there is a typical victim. You know, some of the the things that uh, our investigators have to look at or cases that they investigate could be extremely young children up into the age of 17, you know, right before they turn into legally an adult. So it really depends. Thank you so much, Bill. Yes. Emma, we we had a guest on the show early on in our shows, a fellow by the name of John, J-O-N. His last name is Wise, W-E-I-S-S. He's out of South Carolina and he works as a volunteer for the Boy Scouts down there and are one of our consuls. And he was abused. 
uh, not by a scout, but uh, by his youth pastor and coach. And he went into pretty graphic detail of his grooming. And what you just described fit it to a T. Yeah. Uh, and these, yeah. this grooming thing is something that parents need to pick up on. And usually the person that's abusing them is a couple things. One is it's a close person to the family that they trust. And then the second time, there's a lot of youth on youth abuse going on. I know in the scouts, I'm a big volunteer with the scouts, you know, one abuse is too much. And we had a lot of them, as you know, with a lot of publicity about it. And it goes back, you know, to the fifties. So I've been real close to our youth protection program that we do, and it's pretty stout. But, you know, last year I asked our CEO, I said, how many abuse cases did we have last year? And uh, he said 12, which, you know, considering we have a couple million people in our organization is a small percentage, but it's still 12 too many. But here's the interesting thing is eight of them were youth on youth. And uh, so can we talk about youth on youth abuse and who are the youth that are doing it? Is it their older cousin? Help us understand that so that the our audience can get some education to look for that. Sure. I specifically don't know the statistics on youth-on-youth offenses for these types of crimes that we investigate, but I do know that the average age that children view pornography for the first time is between 8 and 11. So I'm sure that could have something to do with it. Kids seeing something online that either they don't understand and obviously makes them feel some form of pleasure, but they don't understand that pleasure and then try and recreate it in person. That could be a situation. But again, I don't know the exact statistics or reasonings behind it, so to speak. I do know that, yes, unfortunately, the majority of hands-on offenses are by someone that that child knows, depending on the year and, you know, of research, it's it's around 95%. I don't know exactly what the, the statistic is for this year, but 95% of hands-on offenses are someone that, that those children know. So yes, youth pastors, friends, neighbors, family. So what we deal with doesn't always break that mold, but unfortunately it is a little bit more likely for a stranger offense uh, with the types of, of things that we deal with simply because of the nature of the internet. But one thing that we do know is that it's still majority of the time is someone that that child knows. So if we're thinking about sextortion, which is where um, a predator, whether it's a child or an adult, is blackmailing that child for or with some type of sexually explicit image, that still is around 60% of the time, somebody that that child knows. So it is still still quite frequently um, someone that they know, unfortunately. And when we're thinking of child sexual abuse material, depending on the, the what the image is of, it could definitely be somebody that that child knows and, and that hands-on offense being recorded in some way. So I'm sorry that I can't answer your question any better. No, that's <laughs> um, fine. In relation that's fine. to child-on-child offenses, but... It is definitely a concern and something specifically that we do and don't investigate. And what I mean by that is we will get reports of it if it is something that's happening via the internet or digitally, but 
we're not in the business of charging minors with these types of crimes because the crimes that we typically charge are sex offender registry charges. So we try and really kind of do everything else in our power to, to intervene before it gets to that. Wow. Very good. Thank you for that explanation. You know, you're going to be speaking twice at our summit. Could you give the topics you're going to be speaking of? So I'm going to be speaking in a more general sense of current trends on social media and the different crimes that we investigate and things to look for. So a broad, general internet crimes and internet safety combination type presentation. And then I will also be doing a service provider training. So as somebody with a clinical mental health background and a master's in social work, a huge point of passion for me is that I train service providers to understand these different types of crimes, the nuances of them and how they affect biologically, socially, and emotionally affect these children, as well as how to intervene, what even is legal and illegal, and how mostly to just have trauma-informed practices with these types of victims, because it is a topic that most service providers aren't really trained on how to deal with. Um, We're trained in a more broad sense on how to deal with trauma, but not the nuances of this specific trauma. So we're going to be wrapping up with that as well. Very good. Very good. Odell? You know, Emma, first, let me just say, God bless you and the work that you're doing. A couple things came to thought. Years ago, years ago, I was in doing my master's thesis. I was in divinity school getting my master's divinity degree, and I was doing my master's thesis. And I was just working, doing research, and my research was the Black church's response to the 1996 Welfare Reform Act. So, you know, that's a long time ago. And I remember typing in big Black churches and Bill, oh my God. Things just start coming in and I'm like, whoa, 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 how do I stop this? You know, and I remember how I felt and I'm like, but I didn't do anything. It's not like I stumbled over it. It was like big black was enough. It's like keywords. And that's before I even know about artificial intelligence, algorithms and all that. I didn't know about that stuff because that was a long time ago. But the second thought was suicide. If someone have something that they said, I'm going to expose and embarrass you. And just say you're a a teenager, 13, 14, and you're like, oh my God, everybody's going to know my secrets, so I'm going to kill myself. And the third thing is males. For some reason, I kept thinking the predators, probably more males than females, but I don't know. So that's not even a question. Those are just my thoughts. That's my thoughts that it's so easy to stumble into this. It's just so easy, you know? Yep. You're right. Yeah. It is. It, it absolutely is. Don't ever type in dicks.com. It is dicksportinggoods.com. <laughs> um, okay, got it. Got it. That is exactly that is exactly the same thing. And kids unfortunately have so well, fortunately and unfortunately have so much access to the internet in a very uncensored way that it takes one small mistake in a Google search to bring up a very shocking thing. So absolutely, yes. Unfortunately, that that is fairly common to have happen. The other part to that statement that you had is, as far as predators, you know, yes, uh, you think males would be, you know, 
majority of the predators, but we have arrested females as well. So um, wow. don't let that skew your vision, so to speak, of who is the predator, because it really could be both. Hmm. You know, I was, I was listening to a news story. I don't know if it was on NPR or what it was, but uh, when I was in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox Jewish group, you know, is they live in a community, very tight community, very strict rules, particularly about dating. We had an Orthodox a Jewish leader come and talk to us about what it's like to court in that community. And what happens is before you are allowed to meet a male or female, the parents get together with the rabbi and they talk about, is this a good fit and their personalities and the family background? And they have to go through this approval process. And once they get that done, then they will allow the boy and the girl to meet in a public place. And when we're at a hotel, he says, in this hotel, you probably go up in the lobby and you'll see people there. And it, it, it's a boy and a girl. They're dressed very conservative. And they're across the table from each other, a big table. But in the back are the parents and sometimes the rabbi. And they allow them to talk. And it goes on for quite a while before they can even have time together. So, you know, it, it kind of made me think about what's that like as a young person? And then this new story came out on NPR about one of these rabbis had been a sexual predator and had been picking up young girls and uh, taking them to hotels. And one of the girls that was uh, being interviewed, she said that she was so naive on everything because she wasn't explained any of this stuff that she didn't even know how to describe her rape to the police because she didn't understand it. And, you know, you start thinking about that, that tells me that this is permeated into every fiber we have in society. It's there. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's cloaked in a, a religious person, family friend for sure, and uh, maybe a, an acquaintance. It's not that guy that's lurking in the corner necessarily. It's somebody that's built a lot of trust with that individual to get them to do that. And that's one of the things she said, she trusted this guy. So when he picked her up, you know, he gave her some gifts. He said, we're going downtown Tel Aviv. Next thing she knew, she was in a hotel, which she'd never been in. So anyhow, I share that story because it's really stuck with me how these per kids get taken advantage of. Well, you know, Bill, the whole idea of trusting people of authority. I'm a pastor at a 8,000 member church. Okay. People see in you what they want to see in you. And part of the responsibility of leadership or being an authority is that you have to be without a doubt, not, not perfect, but oh my gosh, you have to make sure that nothing doesn't even look wrong. Now, you don't know somebody else's desires. You don't know all this. And the fact that the Bible teaches, and I'm not trying to talk all about the Bible, but we have to be aware of our flesh. We, we understand that. Now, people of authority... At one time when I was going to school in South Carolina, the great state of South Carolina, Bill, you know, not that whole Ohio stuff, South Carolina, we trusted teachers, we trusted preachers, we trusted people of authority. I mean, if they said it, boy, you got a note sent home from your teacher, right or wrong, you're going to get corporal punishment at school, that means a spanking, and then when you got home, you got a spanking too. So Emma is not all, but some people of authority 
slipping or maybe we just have more means of knowing when they slip now? I think that we have more means of knowing when they slip. You know, I always get asked, well, how many reports do y'all get? How many arrests have y'all had? And, and exponentially every year it increases. But I always tell people it's, it's not necessarily because there are more predators or mad, more bad things happening. Um, we just, you know, technology has caught up with the crime, so to speak, and we're able to find out about it a lot easier than whereas before it took an actual victim disclosure or someone close to that victim finding out. Now, if an image is uploaded to the internet or downloaded, if it's a known image of child sexual abuse material, we get notified. So, you know, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than just that. But a lot of times we will get notified. um, And these, these internet service providers are monitoring a little bit more. So we have a lot more reports coming in because of that. Well, you know, Emma, one of the TV shows that I flip, I like looking at news, uh, news and sports. That's my two things. But every now and then I'll be flipping through the channels because I do that sometimes. And my wife's like, why don't you just, if it's stationed, why don't you just put the station in? I just like to flip. Well, is this show called Catfish? I think that's the name of it. And I I want to look at it, but it's like, it's a waste of time. But But it's interesting to me, though. So someone could be on the internet thinking that they're talking to somebody and they're really talking to the police or authority. So it's shows like Catfish real? Absolutely. Yes. That is that is a, a huge issue. And like I said earlier, it's very easy to lie on the internet. When I present to kids, so our program, our internet safety program starts with 4K, so four-year-olds and goes all the way through high school. And we talk about you know age-appropriate topics. When I get to middle and high school, even elementary school, I'll ask them, what age were you when you downloaded social media and got your, your first social media account? And majority of the time, kids got it before they were 13. Well, wow. with the COPA laws, you're actually supposed to be 13 or older. So if they got it when they were 10, so to speak, they had to have lied about their birthday. Um, and I always tell them, if we lied that easily, other people can lie too. You know, they can lie about what they look like, where they're from, whether they're a boy or a girl. So you really can't guarantee that you know who that person is. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do undercover operations as well as law enforcement. So you could be talking to a law enforcement officer as well. You never really know. <laughs> but yeah, Catfish is very real. I've never seen that show. Oh, Bill, Bill, Bill. It stopped me from flipping sometime. If I had a rough day and I just want what I call mindless entertainment, I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear about a sports player. I don't want to hear about politics. I don't want to hear about anything. And Catfish is one of these just crazy shows that you like, for real, y'all, for real, you did that. And it was like, oh, yeah. Or that you'd be surprised what people will do who you would think, why? But, but listen, none of us are perfect. Uh, we get that part of it. None of us. Emma, can you share with us real quickly, what do you, the main thing you want the audience to know and what's your why? Because you put a lot of time, energy and effort in this. Why do you care so much about people not being abused? Well, the, the first part of that question made me think of something. And the second part of that question made me think of something else. So I've got a two-part answer. The one thing that I want the audience to know 
about all of this is that the answer, the solution is not to gather up all of technology and burn it, right? You don't want to keep your kids away from it just because bad things can happen. We know that you can get in a car accident, but we still hand the keys over to a 16-year-old after they've taken the test and we've taught them how to use a car responsibly. We still give them the keys to the car, knowing they can get hurt. It's really about having conversations, setting expectations and guidelines, and trusting your kids and your parenting to know that if something bad does happen, they'll come to you and they'll ask for help. You know, you'll punish them when it needs to be punishment, but if it's something that wasn't their fault, um, they're not afraid to you to of you to come to you and tell you something that happened. So that is a big thing that I want everyone to know is that keeping kids away from technology doesn't necessarily mean that you're protecting them, right? I know for me personally, when I was a child, my parents wouldn't give me a cell phone until I was 15, but I was texting and calling boys on the bus on the way to basketball games on my friends' phones. So they're going to get access to it some way or another. But the other part of that, the reason why I want to protect kids and protect families is really because there's so much that could happen and does unfortunately happen that we don't talk about. And it would be prevented very easily if we had very candid but difficult conversations and we weren't afraid to have those conversations. I don't want bad things to happen to kids. I don't think anybody does. So my passion for it comes from some negative things that happened in my own life, but realizing through my undergrad career in in psychology and counseling that yes, helping people after the bad thing is really important, but I wanted to be part of the reason why those bad things never happened. So that's kind of where I come from, right? And why I switched (laughs) mid-career. planning, so to speak. Well, that's that's a great, great, great question, Odell, and a great answer. Emma, we're getting near the end here, and we always ask our guests, how do you find common ground? And uh, we don't set a parameter on how to define that. People have gone all over the board. And uh, so we're going to pose that question to you. How do you find common ground? Well, luckily, in my career, it typically is pretty easy Um, Because when I go into schools or go to talk to parents or service providers, none of us want those bad things to happen to kids. Otherwise, we wouldn't be there. They wouldn't have asked me to be there. So that is always my common ground, regardless of background, socioeconomics, religion, any of these really divisive type of, of factors. That's one thing that I always have in common with everybody that I talk to is we don't want bad things to happen to kids. So I'm very fortunate in that. Outside of this this specific niche, though, I try and be as open-minded as possible and understand that I won't always understand and simply to listen because I can't understand the life that y'all have lived because I haven't lived it, right? So all I can do is be open and listen and try to take in as much information as I can and be as unjudged non-judgmental as I can. And that always finds common ground with people. Oh man, that's a terrific answer. That's a terrific answer. Well, folks, if you want to hear more of Emma, come to the summit or zoom in on the summit and uh, the breakout sessions will be zoomed and uh, you can sign up and get the links and uh, hear Emma tell us more information about her career and about what she does for a living. I'm going to give Odell the last word here, but before we do that, 
Emma, I'm going to do a plug for the youth of North Carolina. So if you want to find the website, it's www.youthofnc.com. And that will get you links to everything. And Emma, the website that people can find your information? It is sc.safetynet.com, as in South Carolina, safetynet.com. You can request presentations and outreach through that website, specifically for South Carolina, but I do travel outside of those borders if if I need to. I'm only one of five who do this in the country, I believe, so... I try and branch out a little bit <laughs> outside of South Carolina. Outside South Carolina. Very good. Odell? Yeah. Now, Emma, this is the real question. When is the last time you went to a Holly Hill Friday night football game against everyone's arch rival, Somerville Green Waves? Have you ever went to one of those games anytime? You know, I don't, I don't think that we ever played them. We, so I went... Personally, I went to a little private school, Holly Hill Academy, but our public high school shut down when my dad was, I believe, in high school. Maybe after that. I'm not quite 100% sure. But no, the, our, our private school started when he was in high school, excuse me, probably 2015. So it's been a long time. I haven't really been, been back all that much, unfortunately. So you said, Odell, you're an old guy, just like your father. Well, we... Our social life was Friday night football, high school football. So your dad probably know about Holly Hill, all those good teams they had playing uh, Berkeley High School, Somerville High School back in the days. Emma, don't feel bad. My high school, Middleton High School, is no longer a high school. They got rid of it. So, But what I will say is, Emma, thank you so much for being on the show and you do some great work and I can't wait to meet you. And I want to get some more information from you to see if we can implement some form of training at our church, because it's a lot of people and everyone loves technology, like you said, and everybody loves Facebook and all that. We call it fake book sometimes because you never really know what you're getting. But listen, please continue to do what you're doing. And another shout out to the great state of South Carolina, that we both love. Thank y'all for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. And the date for the 2023 Youth Resilience Summit is November 16th at 8.30 a.m. till 2 p.m. Location is the McKimmon Conference Center and Training Center at NC State, 1101 Gorman Street in Raleigh, 27606. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.